Assalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Greetings of peace, love and light. Wishing everyone a blessed Ramadan. Praying that you're well, praying that you're safe. This is a strange time, a difficult time. And so we're just sending love and light to you in this time and praying that uh, we all get through this and that we all come out of it better than before, that we learn our lessons and that we're purified by this and we're transformed by it for the better. And uh, we brought our brother Abdullah Rothman in to have a conversation. Uh, he is someone who, when it comes to matters of the heart, matters of psychology and spirituality, he's always someone who has great insights. So we speak to him in this podcast about, you know, how to navigate these difficult times and how to make the most of them uh, in general and then particularly in the month of Ramadan and how to approach the, our spiritual practices for this month and our fasting for this month, given the unique situation we're in and that we're not able to gather, we're not able to go to the mosque, we're not able to function in the usual ways that we are. So I hope you enjoy that. Um, also, I wanted to mention, uh, we do have a course, Rumi Center for Spirituality and the Arts has partnered with Wasat and presented a course called The Book of Love. It's a course that goes the entire month of Ramadan, uh, videos, readings, reflection, a group who engage in sharing and writing and interacting with daily readings from the Holy Quran and looking at what the great sages and saints have said about the Holy Quran as the book of love and particularly the Quran's treatment of love. So um, it's been wonderful. We just started uh, a few days ago. Uh, but we're still in the first week, so if you want to join, uh, the registration should be closing soon. But as long as you catch it before the end of the first week, you should be able to catch up, inshallah. So if you're interested, uh, visit RumiCenterWorkshops.com, and uh, you'll find the registration there, inshallah. Um, other than that, I want to thank everyone for supporting Path and Present Podcast, uh, particularly those who've been giving through our Patreon. You're the ones that keep this alive. If you want to support, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash path and present and give a monthly amount of any amount. And that helps continue these discussions. All right, y'all. So now we're the times of the coronavirus, the pandemic, we are all uh, forced inside and more ways than one. We're physically forced inside, but it's also forced, I think, a lot of us to be introspective and be contemplative and to, in, in many cases, actually face uncomfortable things, fears, uncertainties, our own mortality at the root of all that, right? Um, yeah, so as somebody, you know, like yourself, who is, is you know, a deep student of the kind of psycho-spiritual tradition of Islam and wellness, spiritual and mental and physical wellness, uh, what are some of your thoughts just being kind of locked down now for, what, a month and a half? Yeah, it's um, it's a lot of things. It, you know, there's so many levels and layers to this experience. And on the on the surface level, or I'm on, I wouldn't want to say surface, but on the outer level, there's just the the concern of of public health and safety, which is a you know obvious, real concern, and and it's both like being cautious of taking care of being safe, but then also like being uh, compassionate and uh, understanding that a lot of people are, are suffering, whether they have the virus or they're in situations where they can't, they can't really just retreat. Like there, there's a lot of people out there on the front line, as they say, you know, without really the privilege of being able to stay safe. Mm. And so that that 
also puts in a whole lot of layers of perspective of just like the the systemic situation of like who's out there who's out there put in positions and who has the privilege of being able to you know you know there's these hashtags of like stay home stay safe which is which is great public health advice and it's also for a certain privileged section of the society that has the ability to do that um and you know that can even go on levels of like who some you know who has a home or who who's able to be safe so you know there's there's that and then there's you say from like a mental health and a psycho spiritual islamic spirituality perspective you know thinking about this time of retreat it's this is like you said it's it's forced to go inside and really this is it's like forced halwa you know where where these those of us who do have that privilege to stay safe and stay home are um now find ourselves in in halwa not by choice right it's not like we prioritized this it it happened and we're there and so for to see it in a from a from this perspective uh, you know a lot of like the we look a lot of the spiritual elders of the tradition and you read books about these sort of like um zahid like these ascetics who 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 go away from the dunya or go away from the busyness and and retreat this would be sort of a a welcome spiritual challenge or even just opportunity to connect with the self because this is how we connect with allah right and so from that perspective you can see how that that could be a welcomed opportunity a welcomed sort of spiritual opportunity to go deep and reflect but that requires a maybe this is also a privilege or prerequisite to like have that knowledge and have that attitude about um this inner personal reflection and have some sort of baseline of having done that work to where you can say ah alhamdulillah i have this time to be with myself whereas for a lot of people you know talking about this other type of of uh lack of guidance or lack of privilege is not having the tools or or not having the experience of having really been with yourself for very much or 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 taken that time to reflect what happens is it go there's a lot of things that go unchecked and a lot of um internal uh, complications that come in terms of like psycho spiritual state and somebody's mental health even that when you're forced to come into yourself and to be in this forced khalwa you are you are faced with yourself and for for a lot of us for a lot of people out there this is this is like the first time that they've been faced with themselves because they don't take that they don't choose to come into reflection of their self or being with themselves and so when it's forced and you don't have the tools that can actually be really scary and it can be somewhat problematic and even dangerous because people are squeezed you know people are squeezed in this time and if you don't have the tools of just sort of understanding mental health it can uh, it can be a huge challenge in a widespread way yeah yeah i mean we are forced to really sit with ourselves and confront with ourselves i mean there's only so much Netflix you can watch right there's only so much <laughs> distraction you can have um and i think especially in times of uncertainty it's not like it's a time where we're all just like inside but we're joyous every you know there's a lot of concern and uncertainty and fear for, for our physical safety fear a lot of people fearing for their financial security stability um you know and also just things like not being able to see your loved ones not being able to hug anyone not being able to have intimacy you know with with you know and and joke and laugh and and you know have your social interactions so we're all really kind of cut off in a sense and really forced to be with ourselves as you mentioned so you mentioned some of these tools i wonder if you would elaborate a little bit on tools for introspection and being with oneself and um 
you know, doing that work that you speak about? Yeah, I mean, I think there's levels to it because you can, we can say like, okay, the tools are, let's say, self-reflection and coming into a state of being present with the self. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about doing yoga and meditating and, you know, but to be honest, like those are, those are things that you have to establish in order to benefit from them. They're not necessarily things that work in crises, Mm. right? If you haven't learned how to come into a place of calm and it's not a familiar place for you, you can't just call on it when you're in a state of anxiety. It's something you have to build towards and establish. And so, you know, for those who have an established practice or at least have been introduced to it, then you can, you know, you can use those tools to deepen. But I would say for people who maybe don't have a familiarity with some of those practices, really it's about um, some behavioral changes at first, right? Some situating your space to adapt to the new situation that will, that will um, create a container for better coping let's say and so some of that can be you know not not responding or to this in a normal way like it this is not normal it's not what we've been used to and so if we use the same coping mechanisms or even just can carry on with the same lifestyle that that can that cannot work and so what it means is like maybe maybe some of the first things is to, to look at changing your home. Like, so for, for those of, for those of us who will have the privilege of staying home, let's say, um, not treating it like not treating your home in the same way that you would have before. Right. Cause for a lot of people, the home was just the place you came to rest after you did your busyness in the world. And so for a lot of people, what that meant was you come home, you sit on the couch, you watch Netflix, you eat, and you sleep, right? And so if that is the physical space, is that if, if that's what you're used to using it for, and you go into that same mode of sort of de- detach, you know, disconnecting, that's, uh, that's going to be unhealthy. Um, and so what that means is you got to like change that space and have a different relationship to it for so that it's not only your place of retreat and and comfort and sleep and 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 physical nourishment but like productivity uh creativity um uh social engagement you know like there's all these things that we need as people to fill these buckets to keep us balanced and mentally healthy mm-hmm. that are you know our social emotional behavioral physical right and so Usually in our lives, we, we fill all these things in very different places. We go to a gym to work out. We go to, you know, wherever we hang out with our friends and we connect with a, a social network. We go to an office to do work. We go to a restaurant to eat. And so now all these things are having to be in one space. You've got to have a different relationship to that space. So that might mean moving furniture around it might mean out reallocating spaces in your home and saying okay this is the productivity space mm-hmm. even if you're confined to a smaller apartment like you know it's more it's more symbolic than it is you know practical sometimes um, i know for me physical exercise is really important for my routine and my mental health and i did that in a gym and i can't i can't do that now and so I knew that that was important for me. So I went before like stores closed down and stuff. I went out and just as a mad rush and got all the, as much uh, home workout equipment as I could find. A lot of it was sold out and a lot of it was too expensive. And, but I made do and I created a space. Um, Thankfully I have a little outdoor space. So that's good as well. And, and that's been my saving grace, you know? And so instead of saying like, Oh, I can't go to the gym. So therefore I can't be physical. Or even saying like, well, it's not going to be the same. So I'm going to, you know, I had to, I had to sort of do some research online. Like what can I do to fill the same physical routine that I had and shifting it to like some more at home practices, you know? So that's like maybe using more body, body weight 
exercises or whatever it is you have to do, you have to use that ingenuity to, to uh, adapt. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I really like that piece you said. I mean, I like it, but it's, it's real and it's, it's unfortunate in the sense that, you know, if you haven't been cultivating a practice, like you say, when crisis hits, you're not going to be, it's not like that's the time where you're going to, okay, now I'm going to learn to, yeah. you know, it's just like, it's if, if, if you're not training in the martial arts, when someone attacks you, you're not going to learn how to fight them. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like you're in trouble. Right. You know? And so, um, and that's, you know, I've thought about that. We talk about often, right? Um, on the spiritual path, we talk about having a practice or, you know, you say someone's a practicing Muslim or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. the word practice. And, you know, obviously like many of us grew up playing sports, right? And so it's really interesting because there's such an analogy, like your practice is what prepares you for that, the game and the fourth quarter. And when it's all on the line and it's like, did you really, you know, how prepared are you for the moment when it comes? That's what practice is about. And I think, you know, as believers, our practice is about, I mean, it's really all preparing us to, it's like dress rehearsals for Yom Kiyama. Like that's what Salat is, right? Prayer is the standing. It's, yeah. it's standing in the divine presence. And of course, it's not actually a dress rehearsal because as we know, we're always in the divine presence. It's just, it's mm. about actually making ourselves aware of that, awakening into that now. And if we don't do it here, we're not going to be able to do it there. So make right. assist us in that here. Um, so I've also been thinking about that. Like, this is what we've been training for. This is what we've yeah. been praying for, yes. you know, prayer and fasting ramadan's a big kind of sit with yourself and you can't just eat and you you're uncomfortable and your head hurts and you're you can't you don't even want to go right in ramadan often you don't want to go do social things because so much of social life is eating and and you know drinking coffee and whatever and you're like you just want to you know so we kind of have to go through that fire of 30 days every every year where it's like no, I have to be with myself. I can't just, you know. Um, so all these these practices can be means for that. And, um, you know, the other piece that you mentioned about rearranging your space, I thought about that a lot because, you know, I mean, I've heard from many of my dear respected elders and teachers, one of the most important things you can do in your home in any time is to have a space that is your sacred space. It is for yeah. worship only. And, right. you know, if you can have a whole room, have a whole room. But many of us, you know, we don't have the space for that. So at least have a corner of a room, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's even recommendation, you know, have a specific set of clothing that you, your best clothing that you only wear for prayer. You only right. wear for the last third of the night. And have your best perfume that you don't actually wear out. You wear for, you know, but there is something about that intentionality. Right. And honoring the space and honoring the practice that then, you know, increases the transformative effects of it. So I also was thinking about that when you were mentioning, yeah, have a workspace, have a play space, have an exercise space, have a sacred space. And sometimes, you know, that it might even all be in the same room, but you can have your, you know. Right, right. Um, yeah. Or maybe you have to, yeah, you have to rearrange things for each time mm-hmm. and bring out the things that remind you that it's now, it's now sacred time. I think I think what it is is it's a wake up call. You know, it's a wake up call to come back and remember what we're what we should have been doing before and what we, we need you said it's a practice, it's an ongoing thing. And I think this this time of the coronavirus is, is a wake up call. And similarly, Ramadan is a wake up call because what it does is it brings us back and says, you know, okay, for this thirty days, you know, it's a sacred month. Uh, so there's significance in it, but then we have this uh, obligation. We're, we're obliged to to increase our practices, increase fasting, increase reading Quran, increase self-reflection. But and for many of us, like that's 
that's the time when we do those things. Like people break out their prayer rugs for Ramadan, right? And and the that's whole notion, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the whole notion is that all of these things, the Prophet some did these uh, daily throughout the year, and so you know these aren't things that are reserved for a certain time. But the reason why we come into into an, an intense retreat where we do more of it is to reset and to it's like a big reminder of saying like look if, if you if you haven't been doing this this is what you you have to do at least this portion of uh this one twelfth of the year mm-hmm. you've got to get this uh connect in these ways just so you can keep a baseline because if you let that go for a whole year and you haven't done anything then like you're going to be in trouble you're going to you're and what that means is you're going to lose this capacity to cope with being human, right? And staying human, right? And, and being connected to your being. What you'll do is you'll just, you'll get too far from off course and you'll get caught in the dunya and get caught in this sense of separation, self-direction, right? And so the, it's saying like, hey, it's this rope that brings us back before the end of, you know, for this time each year, say, look, you got to come back. Otherwise you're going to be, you're going to get too, you're going to stray too far. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but similarly, we need to think about this on a, on a uh, more spread out throughout each year. And, and if we can, we can bring this into our, into our lives so that we're deepening our practices, then, you know, I think that's why this is a wake up call is in this, this, this forced of, of the coronavirus. It's like, ooh, you know, I'm now really aware of my blessings. I'm really aware of what I what I don't have. Like I, you know, I'm I maybe didn't work enough on this thing because I'm really struggling with it right now. You know, like if you are having a hard time, you know, communicating with your loved ones and and working as a partnership, like, and that's breaking down. Like that's an that's a wake up call. Like, okay, I we needed to be sort of tending to our relationship more, more often and, and better. Mm-hmm. And so now is an opportunity to, to do that, to do that work and not to do it just for this coronavirus period or just for this 30 days of Ramadan, but to do it because this is what needs to be established as a practice. You know, we, we establish the Salat. We don't just pray it when we feel like we're in the right state. You know, establish the salah means put it in place so that it becomes a uh, a rope for you to come back to and becomes this this uh, resource for you. Yeah, no, that's beautiful, beautiful um, advice. And I think, you know, I think behind this is a profound, you know, psycho-spiritual tradition awareness of what the human being is and i mean i know you and i love to discuss this topic and we've had a couple podcasts kind of diving into it (laughs) but um you know for those that aren't as familiar it's like the spiritual practices are not just um hoops to jump through to make God happy, right? But because if every being was as obedient as the greatest angel, it wouldn't increase the creator in anything. And if everyone was as rebellious as Iblis, it wouldn't decrease him in anything. But that these are methods for us to come into the fullness of who we are. And, you know, we often think that you know, it's it's natural actually to think that we will increase ourselves in happiness by getting what we want and like feeding the self and serving the self and pleasing the self, right? That's like kind of the initial reaction you would think, like the more I have and the more joy, you know, the more pleasure, I'll be happier. But, you know, what all the world wisdom traditions are unanimous in is that that's actually very short-sighted and it will only lead to suffering ultimately, but that there is a way to to attain a level of 
joy and happiness um, within, regardless of the changing of circumstances. And if you think about, like you mentioned the word khalwa, you know, which is, you could say, seclusion, retreat, isolation. And each tradition has a profound practice of this, you know. Um, of course, we think of the monks in their in the monasteries or their mountaintop seclusions or um, the sadhus, in, in, you know, in the mm. in the wilderness or the shaman who is training. And so he's in the jungle all by himself in this vision quest for, you know, a number of days or, or weeks, even months. And, but then there's this kind of reintegration into society. And I think even both the prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, and the great sage, the Buddha, they called their paths, the middle path. It's very interesting, right? That they yeah, both share yeah. that this, this is the middle path. And, both of them were saying that, and I'm sure there's many levels of commentary we could draw, but one, both of them were saying that in relation to those who went to extremes in devotion and worship even, right? Because the Buddha had been around extreme ascetics, who, you know, people that didn't eat or, you know, that, you know, that they thought he had inclined towards the world because he ate a grain of rice, you know, they were, they, were, they wouldn't eat anything, you know, and they would stare at the sun until they they, you know, fried their eyeballs, you know, people that did really extreme things. And he said like, no, that's, yes, there should be a level of self-discipline and self-renunciation and like mm-hmm. fasting and silence and solitude, but there must also, there should also be a healthy engagement with the world. And of course yeah. the prophet likewise, one of his Sahaba was spiritually inspired by him and said, you know, I'm never going to, I'm going to fast every day and I'm never going to get married. And I'm, you know, and the prophet, he said, I fast and I eat. He said, I go into seclusion and I marry, you know? So that's this middle path of engaging the world. But, um, and, and that's really, I always thought that about Ramadan, you know, every tradition has like the generality of believers and then the kind of like um, elite. I mean, we don't like that word elite, but the elect, those who choose to devote their entirety to this spiritual practice. Right. So you think of it like the path of salvation or the path of sanctification. Like I'm going to be a believer and, and, you know, do the basics and make Toba when I falter versus those that are like, I'm going to devote my entire being to this. Right. And in, in many traditions, they develop actually like a monastic order where it's like you, you make these vows and you separate from society. But Islam, of course, doesn't have that. It has a but but that's one thing about Ramadan. It's like everyone is a monk for one month of the year. Like you have to yeah, you know, right. completely fast for 30 days. That's something that, you know, really the elect do in other traditions. But everyone does it right. for this one month. So yeah. anyway, those are just some of the thoughts. I don't know if you have. You have some reflections on that. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's uh, it's it's so funny to reflect on, like, seeing people suddenly have this like superpower of being able to fast, and you and you you share it with like non-Muslims. Look at that and like, what? You know, you're fasting every day, thirty days, no water. I mean, it seems like it. it for, for, for people on the outside or looking inside, it seems absurd and it seems extreme, right? Um, but it's, it's extreme because we tend to do the other extreme. Like when we're not, when we're not told to do this, like I, I was reflecting on this, like how many people would do this by choice? You know, everyone, like a lot of people get excited for Ramadan. Like the, last night I was, my, my daughter was like so excited for Ramadan. And I was like, and she's 11. I was like, why, you know, what's exciting about it for you? Like, what, what is it? Why, you know, we just, you're not going to be able to eat. Like, is that exciting? And she's like, yeah, you know, it's, um, I said, what is it? She said, it's, I don't know. She said, there's some magic. There's some magic of Ramadan and it feels special and, you know, there's, there's this, this time. And, and so, but you know, my daughter also that same 
person is is loves food and loves to eat and is like a foodie and you know there would she decide or would we all decide not to eat for 30 days no you know we would not because <laughs> uh, it seems like an inconvenience it seems like a challenge and and so these you talk about the middle path you know the way to walk on this path this middle path is to is to find balance and that oftentimes that in order to find balance is a pendulum swinging you know you go from one extreme to the other and our tendency as human beings is to fluctuate like the nafs this aspect of our of our manifest physical manifestation of our souls is it's uh there's this activity there's this fluctuation there's this um dynamicism you know it's like it's changing the prophet some talked about the heart as this bubbling pot of water right and the bubbles that come to the surface are this like this emotional reactivity and and sort of response and reaction to the ups and downs of the experience of life you know sometimes we are happy sometimes we're depressed sometimes we're enjoy to be with people sometimes we're in loss of being with people and and this is just the nature of the dunya is between these polarities you know it's this um this delusion or illusion of duality between these different extremes often and so in order to find tawhid in order to realize the oneness is where you 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 can only realize that here which is here is like the middle but it's also here in like the present being present with where you are because often the extreme is like going there or going there or having some sort of intention and action to do one extreme or the other versus to sort of sit and be 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 willing to go with what unfolds um and to notice where you are in the moment to be able to respond to what's the healthier way to go you know like to to be able to be balanced to be able to have that wasatiya that 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 middle path means you have to be in tuned and responsive to to what is healthy in the moment versus you know even these ascetics in the time of the buddha they had a, a himma they had a motivation to be in fana to, to to get beyond the self you know but it was still a, a drive it was still this mm. human nafsi drive mm. oh i want to i want to kill my nafs i want to get beyond the self and so i'm going to stare at the sun i'm going to make the decision to actively put myself in um difficulty to get through this thing versus sort of being adi about it, you know sort of chilling out and 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 paying attention and be like okay well is that is that is that what's best for me right now is that what god is telling me to do or is that what myself is telling me to do mm-hmm. you know and this is where you know coming into learning how to receive guidance and respond to guidance is where you really find the the true middle path a true middle path is um doing what makes most sense or what's best for you at this time and we don't know what's best for ourselves only god knows what's best for ourselves and so it's not relying completely on our own decision and self-direction and rational thought but but learning to submit and surrender to what is unfolding and so coming back to this notion of like wait this wake up call that we're in it's uh you know being being present with like what's go, what where are we what you know we're in ramadan we're in this pandemic and being able to be uh tuned in to what's happening and and be with it and and that's where the growth happens yeah no i think that's real and um i think maybe because uh, you know we're beginning ramadan and people are used to often getting their spiritual sustenance from community or for going to the mosque and, and the the nightly prayers etc 
and that's absent. And I think that's really daunting for a lot of people. I mean, myself, I, I feel a sense of sadness, you know, because mm. those are things I deeply enjoy. Um, yeah. But that said, you know, do you have any um, reflections on how people can use this time, which is like, you know, if you think of, you know, Imam Ghazali says that the four pillars of the spiritual path of, of really like spiritual growth are silence, solitude, sleeplessness, and psalm, right? Psalm is, mm. you have to make it that, an Arabic word to make it four S's, but psalm means fasting, <laughs> right? So that's how I remember it. Um, but essentially speaking little and being in a state of silence, um, mm. waking up in the depths of the night and giving life to those, Solitude, i.e. khalwa, being in a state of retreat and, and, you know, which again, of course, sitting with oneself, a state of introspection. Uh, and, then, and then fasting, you know, from food and drink. Now, all of these are essentially, and he actually says this, that all of these are closing the doors of the heart that open to the outside world. Right. So mm. if you think about our heart, right. it has the senses and that's how we right for food and drink and what we take in with words and interaction. And we take in all these things. And Imam Ghazali says, right, for, because for modern people, people say that's stark, that's austere, that's extreme. Like, what's the point? Mm. But Imam Ghazali says, and this is the key, really, is that because you only would think that's austere and stark if you didn't know that there's another door in the heart hmm. and it's the door that opens inward and it right. opens into the divine presence. So we have the doors that open out and the doors that open in. And he says, in reality, especially in the beginning stages of the path, the only way you can get openings into the inner door is to close the outer door. Yeah. He said, eventually right. you get to a point where you can have them both open at once. <laughs> but yeah. at first, you need to close those doors. Um, yeah. And another analogy he usually said, we have this pure water, like this pure elixir of life bubbling up from within, within us. But we have, the, like if we think of our being as like a pool or a pond, at the bottom of it, there's this elixir of pure you know the fons vitae the fountain of life but we have these streams pouring in with polluted water that are polluting this right and these are through the senses we take in all of the heedlessness and all, we speak the words and we see things and hear things and it just it it clouds over that pure water and so basically mm -hmm. closing the senses is draining the swamp so to speak yeah, right? yeah draining the swamp. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, the, I say that to say, to kind of preface the question, which is, we're really kind of forced to close the doors to the world in more ways than yeah. usual. Because in Ramadan, we have to, uh, to a large extent with food and other things. But now, we're, we really have to be kind of alone doing all that so i don't yeah. know if you have yeah. any advice yeah. or reflections for people that are find themselves in that position and want to you know approach it in the most um beneficial way for spiritual growth and for well-being yeah i think it's a really acute you know uh thing to focus on at this moment and i think so many of us so so many people's experience of Islam and Ramadan is social. You know, it's like even when you say we close the doors in Ramadan to food and, and it's inward, but really for a lot of people, Ramadan is about going to iftars, <laughs> right? And it's social. It's, Staying up all it's night and time. hanging out. You stay up all night and the suhoor tent. I know here where I live in the UAE, there's suhoor tents that go till 5 a.m. It's a party. And it's, you know, you're with your friends and you're socializing and, they, you know, it's like almost hedonism in some ways, you know, it's food all night and music and in a party. 
but that's another thing. But, but really, regardless of that, even if it's spiritual, oftentimes the spirituality and the connection is through other people, right? You go to Tarawih prayers is a, is a communal thing, whereas, you know, that's not. A lot of people think Tarawih can only be prayed with people, and that's not the case. And people are going to learn that this Ramadan. But Imam Malik, you know, prayed Tarawih at home often. Um, uh, so I was talking, you know, some people feel like they're going to be cut off from their, from, from their experience of Ramadan or their experience of Islam is in Jama'at, you know, it's with people and it's community. And I, I had a sister the other day ask me, you know, what, uh, isn't so much, you know, she said, uh, my way of connecting, you know, our way of connecting in Islam is so much of it is a part of, part, uh, a big part of it is uh, communi- community. And I said, yeah, it's a part. It's a part of it. And, and the problem is that people, people make that the whole. The whole experience of the, the, the path is a communal identity and sometimes that just means like even a physical expert external identity of being muslim right and what being muslim is then becomes this like cultural experience of this is what we do and we as a group do these things together it's a part meaning you you there's a wisdom in us coming together in jaman this this ijtima aspect this social aspect we need each other to to reflect like we're mirrors for each other right we need each other to come together for support for help uh this this collectivist idea and at the same time coming back to this you know polarities you absolutely are left to sort this stuff out in your own heart on your own we do not stand before allah on the day of judgment with our community with our family with anybody we're alone we're alone before allah so we have to take responsibility and take account that our, our deen needs to include uh, self, self-reflection and, and a private relationship with Allah. You know, it's, you shouldn't, you know, this is why we don't have like the concept of the church or the mosque. There is no the mosque. There's a mosque that you go to to put your head on the rug and you get more blessings in, sometimes by being with other people. Uh, but that's it. Well, like Earth there is a mosque, right? The forest yeah. is a mosque. Your home is a mosque. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and so, you know, we have to come into these points of intimacy with Allah and intimacy with ourselves. And I think, well, I guess we ask of what's some advice for people during this time is there's some things that I would say are fundamental and foundational for how to become more familiar with being alone with ourselves. Because to be honest, as much as that can be a cultural thing and a cultural sort of distraction of this socialized uh, orientation to to Islam, it's also just an avoidance that human beings have. Like we avoid ourselves. We just, it's an innate quality of we we don't want to face what we have to face because it's tough it's we don't we're afraid of what we're going to find if we look inward because there's some things that maybe we haven't sorted out that can be ugly and so we tend to be with other people to avoid ourselves and so being with people again is beautiful but in balance and so what i would say is if you're if you have a hard time being alone then don't avoid being alone because that's just going to elongate the issue. It's going to be, you're just going to have a, you're kicking the can down the road. Mm-hmm. If you find that it's hard for you to be alone, that's a sign and a message that you need to learn how to be alone. You need to learn how to be alone with yourself so that you can uncover what's underneath the self is your direct connection with, with God. And so some tools to do that is just, is first of all, just taking the time to be alone. Like for that, for some of us, that's, we just, we avoid it or we don't do it or we don't have the, you know, and so scheduling in your day, some time to be alone is important. And that's sometimes that's really hard. I know for myself, I live, I have three children, my wife and I, 
uh, we're in a house of five people and we have young children that need that are needy and it's tough to find alone time right and but that means i have to get up in the middle of the night and so it's worth it for me and then when you've secured that alone time then what you do in that time uh, in addition to ibadah like it's it's important to connect and do your practices of worship but then you i would say i would implore people to introduce a practice of self-reflection or muhasaba um, and, and specifically just looking at yourself and taking account of yourself, having a conversation with yourself and looking like, what, what's going on inside me? Like, why did I react to this thing in this way? Um, and I think the, be, the, the most practical, tangible thing you can do is literally buy a journal and make this your muhasaba journal that you keep with you and you reflect every, every day. You, 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 you take, you know, five minutes a day to sit and write um, what's going on. Where are you at? What's, you know, and, and not only, you know, it's good to focus on gratitude, what you're grat- grateful for, but then also at the same time, like what you're upset about or what you're noticing that's coming up that you're irritated by, you know, um, you know, we know that shaitan is in chains during the month of Ramadan, but that doesn't mean that we're completely pure and, and um, removed from our tendencies of the nafs. Mm-hmm. And even if you are, even if you are this pure shining light of your pure ruh during this month, you still have the memory to look back and take account of yourself from the, from the, over the year. You know, look at your behavior. What, why did I react to this person in this way? Why was I so pulled and drawn towards this, this thing? Why was, I, why was I so wanting this thing when it seems like the world is really not conspiring to make that happen? What is it about me that needs that thing? You know, and, and, and make a note of it and start to write about it and start to uncover and unfold what's there. And so really, this is an ongoing process. But, but, but I would say, if you're not doing it, use this time to establish this as a practice. And then, you know, that's kind of an ongoing sort of self-reflective thing. And then I would say the other really important thing is when you're alone, when you're, you know, choosing these times to be with yourself, you need to have a contemplative practice of, of learning to be still, just being still with yourself. Uh, I think breathing is the, the best way to come into that state of being still and present because often we we're just not we're not consciously breathing we're like involuntarily breathing so just try to have a voluntary practice of breathing and coming into being comfortable sitting with yourself because when you sit there and you sort of orient yourself to your physical experience of your being rather than your mental activity and just sort of constantly being bringing yourself to your heart and, and, and orienting yourself to your body will help you connect with your being and being present. And, you know, there's a lot of detailed, deep techniques for, for doing that. But I think the basic is just practice. It's practice, practicing um, being still. Yeah, no, I think it's real. And I think I, I you know, I love the Mahasabha Journal. That's a key element of my own life and, and all the courses we do. And I really, you know, swear by it. And just to have that self-reflection, there's something it does. It it almost like it, it it's not that you're, I'm going to write what I feel, but it's actually, it's almost like you get to look in a mirror at yourself and see things you couldn't see without the mirror. It's like, oh, wow, that was in me, you know? Um, so right. that's a powerful practice. And I think, you know, obviously this is the month of the Quran. And so, you know, often we we focus on reading a bunch of Quran or standing in Tarawiyah for, you know, hours, which is obviously good. But I think this is really a good opportunity to really reflect on, to really reflect on the meanings and to sit with the book and to, you know what I mean? Yeah. And to yeah. sit with, you know, ourselves and, you know, so alhamdulillah, everything you said is is, is great. And I think, uh, you know, I pray that there's great benefit for people because 
Um, no doubt it is a challenging time that we're all going through our various challenges and uncertainty and, you know, quote unquote, negative emotions, right? Stress and, and worry yeah. and concern and things like right. that. Um, but I think what, kind of what you're mentioning and, and really what's so beautiful about our tradition is that it accounts for this. There's a really profound tradition of understanding the states understanding not only the states of ecstasy and bliss, but actually the states of deep contraction and difficulty mm. that one goes through and how to be in those states, how to orient oneself in those experiences, because even the most, you know, fortunate human life is going to be faced with some serious difficulties, serious contractions, serious illness, serious loss of wealth and health and even your own life eventually. And so how to be in those moments when those type of situations affect us. And I think that really gets back to what the practice is about. And that's why yeah. the discipline is about that too. I mean, from, if you, if you're just, yeah, I came from another planet and you came to the right, you know, two a day football practice and you saw people like running until they collapse and like in the heat and all this stuff. It's like, why are you subjecting yourself to that? Well, it's for the game. It's so that you're in this elite uh, shape so that when it all matters and when the lights are on you and when it's all for, for, for the, you know, for the, for the trophy, you perform at this high level and likewise with spiritual practice and, and with, you know, which I think we're broadly defining, which it's not separate from our wellness and mental well-being and even physical well-being. No. It's all part of the, the human being, or this one mm-hmm. being that we are and, and navigating this world with wisdom and grace. And so these practices of discipline and practice of, uh, you know, self-sacrifice and you know such as fasting and they are helpful such that when you're in a position where you can't eat or you can't go outside or you can't speak to someone or you can't you don't feel well enough to get up you're there and you can you know how to navigate those you know and of course it's a constant practice none of us can claim to be at that level where we you know don't struggle with the the difficult states but you know there are those that get to a point where they even experience a a type of bliss even in the constriction you know yeah and i think this can the constriction can be can be the only focus you know like right now particularly in this time people are i think you know, like, wow, this is so serious. This is so serious. And it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's this pandemic. And how can you focus on this spirituality stuff when like, there's this real world out there that's Mm -hmm. this big problem. And this is where it really brings it into focus of like, well, how real is that world? And how and if this is not, you know, this is also a part of God's plan. And, you know, we're told, even in the day of judgment even in the last day when the world is falling apart around us we're told to if we're planting a tree continue planting the tree Mm -hmm. you know and that's such a deep metaphor of like because when you're planting something it's for the future and if the future if you're saying like the future of the dunya no longer why would i plant a tree if i know the tree is not gonna exist right because it's the planting it's the cultivating it's the intention uh, that we're here for, not the outcome. The outcome is not in our hands. The outcome is with Allah. But what we get out of doing this work and seeding and putting and caring for the seed is where the beauty comes from. And so it's not unrealistic to, to use this time um, to really bring things into focus because if not now, when? You know, like do do it now. Pay pay now or pay later. Like let's let's uh, respond and react, respond to this situation and 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 uh, be with it and be with, take advantage of it. And then I guess I would just say one last thing on the idea of you know being alone. Yes, being alone. But then again, like 
we're with family, right? We're a lot of a lot of people are isolated with their family. Some people aren't, and so therefore, you, then you whatever you get is what you get, right? <laughs> what you get is what you need. Allah gives you what you need. And so if you're alone, you need the time. You need time alone. If you're with your family, uh, you need to honor that and say like you need to be with your family too. That doesn't mean you shut them out and you go into a room and you say hey, this time is about halwa. So therefore, <laughs> I'm not talking to you guys. Like no, you know. Part of it is, yes, take the time for yourself. But like, if if you've been put with these people, there might be something that you need to sort out with these people. And so I would say, you know, take advantage of that and take the courage to sort of face it and say like, look, we're here, we're here together. Let's do some of this work together. And let's face some of the things we need to, you know, and if that, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for you to be more patient and more graceful and you know apologize for the things that you didn't apologize for before because here you are with this person and it may be your opportunity to sort this stuff out because we don't know when we're gonna mm. die you know mm. like and if and if you're stuck with these people and it hasn't been such a uh you haven't been at your best now may be an opportunity for you to to rectify that so i think you know paying attention for sure. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. And I appreciate you sharing this. And um, I know I want to, before we close, I want to let people know where they can follow up with you. Um, I encourage people that haven't listened to our first two podcasts to check it out. We really focus on, you know, kind of Islamic model of the soul, spiritual psychology. Um, but I know, and we also, inshallah, have a course for Rumi Center coming up together mm. that people will be able to check out. So be on the lookout for that at RumiCenterWorkshops.com. The, the, the art of being, right? Art of being, inshallah. And, uh, but in the meantime, I know you're doing some things this Ramadan. I know you're doing uh, some classes with the Cambridge Muslim College. So why don't you share what you're up to and where people can find that? Okay, so yeah, this uh, this whole month of Ramadan, Cambridge Muslim College is doing this like uh, live Ramadan live, and it's uh, a program of scholars from all around the world and doing free live lectures on their YouTube channel. So I'll be doing every every day Monday through Friday at two a.m. UK time, which is I think nine p.m. Eastern time, and where I am it's five a.m. and they're short reflections called Midnight Moments, and we'll be talking about some of the same themes that we've been talking about here, uh, presence and self-reflection, and how to really make the use of this time. And we will actually, so here, if in this podcast, we didn't really touch on a lot of like specific practical advice, uh, since I'll be there doing those live streams I'll be doing basically 20 of them. So I have a lot more time. They're short, but I think each, each time we'll, we'll introduce some, some practices and sort of reconnect with those practices and um, uh, come together as a time to really make this about self-improvement. So that's happening. And then uh, it seems like there's a lot of online, a lot, a lot of online live stuff happening. I'm doing some other, other things, but I think you can check out, usually I post things on uh, my website, shifacounseling.com, so people can check things out there. We'll put a link to that, inshallah, when we post this. Yeah, bro, I appreciate it. I pray you stay safe. Have a blessed yeah. Ramadan. Bless you and the family. And uh, when this all blows over, we look forward to having you back in Seattle. And uh, yeah. You know, inshallah, we'll do a proper retreat in the Pacific Northwest in the in the old growth forest, inshallah. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. I'd love that. Inshallah. When we can all uh, hug each other once again. Um, <laughs> inshallah. Um, inshallah. All right. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.